Thanks for tuning in to the Glassy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Flora. Our guest today is Meg Bedford, the CEO of Loops Beauty. Known for its hydrogel masks, the three-year-old skincare brand just launched in Target stores nationwide last month. It's also available at Ulta Beauty and Nordstrom. Meg, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm always so excited to get to come on and speak about um, the brand and kind of the success it's been having. Um, and really, actually, today is our third birthday. So it's actually a little bit opportunistic as well. I didn't even realize that until earlier today. So super exciting. Yeah, I noticed that on your site when I was looking up the age of the brand. I was like, oh, that's super easy. So yeah. Meg, you took over as CEO at Loops in August 2022. Did you want to talk about your own career journey and what brought you to this role? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's actually, I'm glad you asked that too. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, I So I'm in New York City now and I've been here almost 20 years, but I was born and raised on the West Coast, um, which is why I was talking a little bit about my jealousy that you're in LA and the warm weather. But I had spent a summer in uh, New York City and working at a fashion magazine while I was in college. And that was really what got me so excited about New York City and fashion. And it really is like my career in fashion that brought me to beauty. So I moved to New York as soon as I graduated from college um, and worked at Vogue for several years um, before really having an incredible opportunity at Tom Ford, um, where I ran all of uh, e-com and digital marketing, and then also Louis Vuitton. And that really propelled me to Pat McGrath. And um, I was so lucky to be here, be there when she launched her brand and was a big part of that um, from a digital standpoint. Um, and, you know, fell in love with the GM there. And really, that's where my beauty career started. And um, from there, I went on to work actually at Toomey for a little while um, and then did several years of consulting. And then last year joined the Syllable team, which is the Hold Co. Um, of Loops. And uh, in August of last year, took over as the CEO with kind of the incredible success we've had um, and some great retail distribution. So it's been an incredible ride. So what's your preference, startup or established conglomerate in beauty? Uh, startup for sure across all categories. Like what I really love is growth in a brand. And I think, you know, as I look back at my career, everywhere I was, aside from kind of when I started at Vogue um, and a short time at a time I spent at Louis Vuitton, um, I was at a company that was in kind of that full growth mode. Um, and that's what I love. I love the building of a brand. I love kind of, you know, from the start of it to, you know, from the baby and it being born to like, you know, it growing up and seeing kind of, you know, that what distribution looks like and what product assortment and de development innovation looks like um, and kind of all of those different pieces. So 100%, I would say the growth in the startup phase, although sometimes I wish, especially since becoming a mom, that's not what I said, because it definitely is a lot of hours, but definitely worth it. And let's talk about the founding story of Loops. It was launched during the pandemic. It hit the market in 2020. How did the concept for it first come about? 100%. So as you said, it launched in 2020 um, and in early 2020. Um, and it really was developed by the founders of our portfolio, Holdco Syllable, and specifically our chief creative officer, Colin. Um, at the time, he identified an opportunity in the market most of the industry, and really still is, it's comprised of a lot of multi-step beauty and skincare routines, right? There wasn't anything that we felt that was super simple or experiential and was made for really specific moments in one's life. And so from that opportunity that he saw in the market, 
um, Loops was born. So when Loops launched in 2020, it really did deliver the best high-tech hydrogel face mask on the market and still today does um, because it was created and developed alongside a top dermatologist in New York City who worked closely with Colin and then also a best-in-class skincare manufacturer in Seoul, South Korea. And so, you know, we do a lot with them when it comes to innovation and development, both um, from a dermatologist perspective and from a manufacturer perspective. Um, And the goal of it and what it still does today is it really delivers uh, solution-based skincare at certain moments and specific moments in your life. And that's why we call it loops, masks for moments. Um, So just to give you an example, right? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing your skin needs? It needs depuffing, brightening, hydrating. It needs protection from free radicals. And so, you know, when we identified that moment and those four key benefits that could help in that moment, um, we created the product Sunrise Service. And that, like I said, delivered those four benefits through four key ingredients. And so it's a very simple, easy to understand, made for a specific um, moment in your life. And it's like a baobab oil, which is calming, rejuvenating, hydrating, right? There's a pumpkin extract in Sunrise Service, which is high in vitamin C and it brightens and depuffs. There's a white flower extract, which brightens your skin. There's a bioderaferm, which helps present against free radical damage. Um, so in addition to the Sunrise Service, we launched with five, with four other face masks, an eye mask and a lip mask. And since then, we've launched two um, product innovations. The most recent is Dream Sleep, which we just launched in um, January of this year. And it delivers the slugging beauty technique to your skin in a way that doesn't deliver any mess. So, you know, if you're familiar with the traditional slugging beauty routine where you put Vaseline or petroleum on your skin um, after you've done your cleansing routine and your moisturizing and it helps seal in um, all that moisture, this is a mask that does the same thing in 10 minutes, but you take it off before you go to sleep, tap in the serum and it doesn't leave that sort of mess. And so we've had really great um, success with that. So just kind of to recap, it was born right out of this desire to have this more simple, easy to use um, treatment. It was made for a specific moment in your life. It delivered four key benefits, it still does, and with four key ingredients. Um, And what I would tell you is all the ingredients that we use are really high quality and they're incredibly effective because they're delivered to your skin through this high-tech hydrogel. And it's really the differentiating product um, value that we have. And I I don't know if you, I'm sure you have this experience, but when we think about like using sheet masks traditionally, right, you think about kind of this wet paper towel on your face and you're either like lying back or like at least, you know, or down or all the way back. And it, it hasn't been, you know, the most amazing experience and you feel somewhat immobile and that sort of thing. And so with loops, we really felt like we broke that mold and we were able to deliver a mask in two pieces that better fits your face. So you have a top and a bottom. Um, and it also has the properties to stick so you can go about your day and do other things while you're wearing it. And that really is what our consumer comes back to us and says time and time again, is that, you know, the way this product was made and created and you know, for a specific moment, I can wear it in that moment, but I can do other things and continue to move with my life. And um, not only do we receive that as customer feedback, but we also have people sharing photos all the time of them on planes, wearing it, watching movies with friends, like cooking dinner. The best I think, or most recent was a couple of weeks ago, we received someone had sent in and shared like in an Uber on their way home from the gym 10 minutes using clean slate, which was their like detoxify and purify moment. So people wear it out too. And so that whole experiential piece of it really creates a community, um, which we love and it takes 10 minutes, right? So that 
that's also easy to do and to accomplish in the day. And 10 minutes is also a loop. And so, you know, that kind of brings the branding full circle. And that was really the inception and the idea and kind of um, what the product is. When when we launched in 2020, we actually launched the brand with Emirata. Um, and it was incredible because that is part of what Syllable does, right? As we um, bring these incredible world-class celebrities and brands and um, bring them together. And so um, it was a super successful launch. And, you know, three years later, still kind of, it's obviously still growing and we've seen a lot of traction in the last year. So it's it's been amazing. So the brand was launched by Syllable with social content agency Shots Studios. And obviously brand incubators launching startups are not a new thing, but it was a unique model to have the social agency on board. How did that model help with the brand's social content and marketing in the beginning? Yeah. So, I mean, I th- one of the things, right, that we talk about with the brand is that it's very experiential and people do... if I think about it, like I don't see a lot of people wearing sheet masks on social media. Right. And so this has the brand properties that people feel cool and they want to wear it. And it is why we call it your favorite celebrity's favorite face mask. And, you know, in the, from the start, it's been on the likes of uh, Bella Hadid and Hailey Bieber and Will Smith and his whole family wore it and a slew of other celebrities. And so um, that coupled with kind of, you know, this incredible social virality of it has been, a lot of, and is still a lot of what um, the brand ethos is centered in. And, you know, from that perspective, like, we'll always have that really deep root and like social content and gifting and sharing. And, um, you know, that really continues to resonate with the consumer as well as be a big part of, as well as the center of um, our 360 degree marketing platforms and programs. What was the timing like launching during the pandemic? Because obviously that was very challenging for any brand to launch. But at the same time, there was this self-care moment going on and everyone was sharing skincare photos on social media. So what did that mean for the brand with that timing? Yeah, so I mean, I I wasn't here with the brand, but obviously can share kind of the anecdotes and things that I've heard from the team who was here and who built it. Um, I think it's obviously, you know, it's always as it is for everyone who experienced that and it's unfortunate and you, everything kind of closes down and, you know, you're unsure and uncertain of what's happening and what's going on. But to the point of what you said is, you know, we were selling them online and so we were able to distribute them and um, people were really into self-care and they were into social and sharing. And so from those aspects of it, it did really resonate and it was, you know, a really strong product to have in the market at that time. And when the brand launched, like you mentioned off the bat, it received so much attention from celebrities. There was Vanessa Hudgens, Emma Roberts. How did you guys link up with the celebrities? What do you think drove the celebrity interest in it so early? I think, you know, a lot of it was, um, or I know a lot of it was, uh, all of it was organic is the first thing I want to say. So it was all either that they had received it as a gift or that they had purchased it. Um, And I think there's a lot of things, you know, when we feel and when we talk to consumers and we talk to people in the industry, it's a very um, strong brand in that, you know, you put them on there, these incredible color translucent um, masks, they look good on. And so that kind of drives this like social virality. And we were seeing Emirata do it. And so they were doing it. And it really was a cool thing and is still a cool thing to be doing. And so um, I think, you know, it wasn't something that we went out and we didn't pay and haven't paid celebrities to date to do. Um, it is something that, you know, has been done organically through sharing and influencing and gifting and those sorts of things. And so um, we know that it kind of has that 
virality and funness and experiential, you know, aspect. People like to do it. It's, you know, it is self-care, but it's also fun. And you don't have to be lying back and you can be experiential and living your day while um, wearing the mask. So. And let's talk about the creative director role. Like you mentioned, it was held by Amrata and it's currently held by Camila Mendez. How did Emily first get on board with the brand and what role did that have in its growth? Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, she was instrumental in the brand launch and the brand growth for the first couple of years. Um, she came on through our create, chief creative officer, Colin, um, and really helped build it. And she was a big part of, you know, what you talk about, you saw it on all these celebrities. She was a big piece of that. Um, and she wore it all the time. And, you know, she wore it throughout her life doing different things. And even still today, if you go on her social feed, you can see kind of her wearing it throughout her day and doing different things. She made it cool. She made it sexy. Um, and, you know, this summer we um, brought on Camila Mendez. Amrata had things in her family and she had a baby and she's writing a book and things like that. And so, um, you know, we brought on Camila Mendez as our creative director and partner. And she's been working with us since July. Um, and that's been really an incredible experience as well. I mean, she, you know, helps us support to lead the product innovation and development. And, you know, when we have conversations about that. She's like, well, what moment is this for? And we really want to make sure that it's, you know, solid and, um is, you know, has, is really interested in skincare herself. And so, um, she plays a key part of that and about, you know, we just did a big photo shoot for dream sleep and she, you know, creatively directed all of that. And so, um, it's been just a really great kind of working relationship with these, you know, celebrities, um, as a creative director and partner, um, in the business. So, you know, it's also helpful in terms of, you know, their audience and, you know, bringing and growing the brand through their lens and through the people that they speak to. And when we look to a creative director, we want to make sure that the audience that they're speaking to, um, it feels organic and it really resonates with our consumer and, you know, has that natural feeling. And they def- they both definitely have. And we've seen this model more and more of celebrities joining a brand as a creative director rather than the traditional beauty marketing model of appointing a brand ambassador. Why does this model work compared to that more traditional model that you see with other brands? Our hold co syllable is this is what the company was built on, right, is the ability to partner with celebrities and create these brands and have organic discussions and organic growth and building. So I think, you know, there's a big difference and the consumer is really, really smart these days and knows the difference between someone's face being on something versus someone speaking to it organically and really being a part of it. Um, And so I think, I think that really, that really is what we try to do, right? We're not doing anything that, um, you know, we're paying someone to be standing up and talking about the product. We have people who stand beside, behind, behind it or are part of the ideation process, product, part of the product development pers- process, part of the brand growth. And so um, that from an organic standpoint is just a way better message um, when it resonates with the consumer. And the creative directors take a stake in the brand, right? Emily still has a stake and you said Camila has a stake. How does that help with their contribution to the brand and their role with it? Like I said, it's, you know, they have a stake, they have part equity in the brand. And so it is, you know, a personal, I am part of this brand thing versus I'm getting paid to do X, Y, and Z. And, 
they also benefit, obviously, when the brand grows, when we see success. And so, you know, that they're, they're, sh- we're sharing that with them, right? Like when we meet with Cami every time we have conversations, we share business sales, we share all those things. And she's an active part of that conversation saying, what about this? And how can we do this? And we give feedback, this really, you know, this social sharing that you did, or this event that you did, or, you know, whatever it is, really drove X, Y, and Z. And so if we want Um, to continue to see the growth that we're having, you know, we want to make sure that we're driving on those points. Um, And they, you know, they are part of the conversations. Like, for instance, we just entered Target. When we first talked to the Target buyer, she was part of the conversation. So they really are an integrated part of the business as any creative director would be um, versus kind of just a licensee or a spokesperson or that sort of thing. Yeah, I was going to ask, how does this role compare to a traditional creative director that you'd see at a fashion brand, for example, where they're doing it full time? It's actually it's very it's actually very similar. Right. And that, you know, fashion brands sometimes too have different creative directors. um, And that is really the model that it's built. It's built on. Um, It's the same in that they're invested in the business. They have that title and they actually are responsible for those things, right? It's different in that, you know, clearly right now, Cammie's on set shooting Riverdale. So she does have other things and obligations. Um, but for the most part, I we really do look at it, you know, as her partnership overall is in that creative direction. And she is a big, she speaks to the photographers before we shoot anything. You know, she's part of what does the set look like for Dream Sleep? How are we getting the vibe? Like, what is the costuming? Every single piece of it that you would think of, she's a part of. And she's a part of that from the beginning of the product to, you know, what does the roadmap look like this year? We have four new products coming out. Which ones should we do when? What what are we hearing the consumer say? What is she hearing her audience say? And so it really is a collaborative process in that way. Um, it's just there, you know, there are, she's also filming Riverdale. And so we've been lucky that she, you know, has put in the time and um, has been a big, you know, part of it. And I think, you know, that obviously contributes to the success of the brand overall. And how did you select Camila for the role? What kind of audience does she reach? Every time we look at um, a celebrity or we look at a partner in that way, um, we want to make sure that the people that they're speaking to is and does resonate with um, our our consumer or someone who would be interested in our consumer and they can speak to it authentically. And so, you know, they're her following is is very engaged. I think that's the first thing we want to make sure. Um, and that, you know, she is passionate about skincare. Um, and, you know, when we built this product, we knew we were building it for a Gen Z millennial audience and really more on kind of the Gen Z side of it. And so we look at those traits and we look at what who their audience is and make sure that when they're speaking to them, um, it's authentic. And it's you know, it's, it isn't like a kind of, oh, we just pick this person. It's, it is a pro- process and a selection process that we go through because we want to make sure that they're genuinely interested and they're a piece of it. Um, because if that doesn't happen and, you know, we, we don't have that true connection, I think not only can the consumer tell, but also it doesn't feel organic to the brand. And it's, you know, it's like hiring any creative director, I guess, as you would say, we want to make sure that it really is the right fit for both, for both sides, that there is enough time that, you know, it does, she has her own brand equity too, and that the two merge together. And um, so we do spend a lot of time kind of in that process and figuring out what that's going to look like. And 
when we met with her and when we kind of, you know, she shared who her audience is and we looked at it, she was really the perfect person. And so, you know, we've been thrilled to work with her um, for almost a year now, I guess, coming up on a year. And you just launched in Target last month. You guys originally launched D2C. Did you plan all along to be in physical stores? What is the role of brick and mortar in your retail strategy? I, you know, first and foremost, and I think I've talked a lot about this, we really look to our consumer and our audience and, you know, have a lot of, um, we do a lot of surveying, we do a lot of qualitative data analysis, a lot of questioning of where they are shopping, where they want the brand, right? So in 2020, when we launched, it was DDC, it was online, and that was really the right place to be because you couldn't really be anywhere else as you were launching. Um, You know, as we've looked at not only the industry and the market and also talked to our consumers, um, we know that they're there, like, most people who shop beauty are shopping online and in store. Um, the brand was developed for both, right? Like it looks incredible on a shelf. It really stands out. It also uh, fits well on a, you know, we do a lot of bigger kits and packs and things like that online. Um, so omni-channel was always part of the strategy and will continue to be part of the strategy. Um, and it's just ensuring that from a growth perspective that we're entering the right places at the right time. So um, we went into Ulta online on 2021. Last year in August, we launched in 450 um, retail stores nationwide. This year in February, we launched in over 1,600 Target doors nationwide. So um, we've been strategic about kind of the timing, um, where we're going, what products we're going there with, and we'll continue to do that as we look forward. And we want to build it, and we want to build it very strategically versus kind of building and putting products one place and then, you know, putting them somewhere else quickly. And we want to make sure that where we are, people, um, you know, are seeing us and that's where they're, where our consumer is shopping. Um, and we've seen really, so far, great luck and success in that strategy. And, you know, we look to that kind of as we move forward and as we expand. Yeah, moving into big box, what has that meant for visibility and brand awareness? So moving into Target has been incredible. It has, it outperformed all of the projections that they put together um, in the best way possible. So we are looking at, you know, we had our PO uh, quadruple last week and then they've been doubled moving forward. And so it's been, and we've been in there now four weeks and it's been an incredible um, ride. And I think, you know, the brand awareness has been also tremendous for us. Um we have some customers who are thrilled and they're like, finally loops is at target. Right. And we have all of our single masks there and they're on the mask wall. And we know that, you know, it's an incredible, not only incredible place for our current consumers to find us, but also a great impulse buy. And then they're also um, online. And so it's, it, I can, the only issue it's caused is we need more inventory faster. But other than that, it has been just a great experience. And, you know, we've had really, incredible success and momentum from launch and even before launch when Source started putting product out um, until now. And so we're just, you know, getting product as quickly as we can to make sure that we continue to, um, you know, sell at that level and um, push forward. And we'll have other products, you know, coming into online this summer and we're working on, you know, exclusive holiday kits and different things in tandem with them. And so it's really been a great, a great experience. And, um, something that, you know, we've only received p- positive feedback from across kind of all channels, including the consumer. 
What's your best-selling product right now? Uh, it depends where, but in general, in our, our site, it's the Variety Loop and on Ulta.com, which is the four pack or the five pack, which is a sample of each one. Um, our eye mask also sells incredibly well, um, both on Ulta, both at Ulta and um, on our DTC site. And then when I will tell you, though, in January, when we launched Sluggy and that quickly rose um, to the top, too. So we have a lot of great success and luck um, when we launch a new product. So we'll continue to do that this year. Um, but I would say like people love the variety pack. Um, they love the eye mask. And from our own DTC perspective, um, what we've seen is that they love when we provide, you know, a skin cycle week or a skin cycle month and these kind of kits that have different routines and things through them. So, um, yeah, we do a lot of that sort of custom kitting on our end as well. Yeah, we've seen the slugging craze take off so much on TikTok as well as skin cycling. What's your process for identifying skincare trends on social media? And how do you guys decide which ones to adopt and focus products around? Um, so I would say that we, in tandem with kind of trends, right, are also, like I said, speaking to um, our dermatologist partner as well as our manufacturing partner in Korea. And so we really have kind of our ear to the ground on that, as well as what are the consumer um, like data analytics and what are consumers looking for um, kind of all together. And so I, we have lots of ideas, ideas all of the time. And so, um, and we have a very robust um, innovation pipeline. And what we want to make sure is that, you know, it aligns with our overarching product assortment category or strategy that we're speaking to the buyers, right, at Target and at Ulta primarily and saying, you know, we like for slugging, for instance, we launched that exclusively with Ulta and we want to understand like what are they looking for and kind of, you know, what are they seeing as well? And so it and we want to be ahead of the trends and we want to, you know, take something that exists and make sure that we're delivering it in a new and innovative way like slugging, right? Slugging traditionally was a technique that you put Vaseline or petroleum on your face. We delivered it in the for, for the first time in the mask. Um, and so we're not looking to copy. We're looking to take something or a trend or an innovation or, you know, a new and up and coming um, material or ingredient and kind of develop on top of that. Um, and so it's, it's not a formal cycle. It really is kind of a continuous cyclical conversation internally. And um, our chief creative officer, Colin, is incredibly involved still in a piece of that. We're actually going to Seoul um, in two weeks to meet with our manufacturer and talk about product assortment um, and also expansion into other categories and things like that. So there's a lot of conversation um, always happening. And, you know, we while we want to have new innovations that come out, we, we want to make sure it's also just not, you know, taking a trend and, you know, putting that out there. It has to be something new and innovative and different that doesn't currently exist in the market. And tell me about what's going on with the sheet mask craze in general in the U.S. these days, because it came in with this K-beauty wave. What's the process for making sure it sticks around and becomes a permanent part of the whole skincare routine that people have generally? So we love it, right? Um, it's great for us. Um, but what I would tell you is I don't think it's necessarily a trend. And it, why I think it'll stay around is if you if you look at the data and you look at the statistics, um, 
you know, the APAC market really is still the biggest consumer base for sheet masks. And so I think it's more of the U.S. has started to adopt that over the years. Um, and that did, you know, follow the Korean kind of face skincare trends and things like that that came over. Um, so I don't necessarily look at it as like, and we don't see it as like, it's a craze. We see it as, you know, the U.S. is a, on an adoption that APAC and Korea and China and Japan have previously, you know, their market has more penetration of it. They have more usage of it. And we're just not behind, but we started later. And so as we continue to, to adopt, you know, all of the consumer data and the trending shows that I think it was like from like 2018 to 2020 to 2026, um, you know, consumption and value in the U.S. is doubling. And so we're not seeing it like a trend that's going to spike and taper off. We're seeing it as, you know, adoption that's going to continue to be adopted in the market and continue to resonate um, with our consumers and with Americans in, ge- in general. And do you have international distribution right now or any plans for that? Um, so we are currently talking about that. Um, we do ship internationally. Um, it's not, it isn't, hasn't been fully optimized yet, but um, we are speaking, you know, we have been approached by several um, international distributors. We're speaking with um, Mecca in Australia about a couple of different things. Um, Cami is hot to get into Brazil because that's where her family and a lot of her audience is. And um, we've received, you know, people outreaching from Europe and our manufacturer in Korea wants to bring us to Korea and China. So um, we're having all of the conversations Um and they're very exciting and we're very excited and we we want to grow and we want to go internationally. But it goes back to that growth strategy from a retail distribution standpoint, right, of like we want to do it at the right time in the right places um, and make sure that we're ready for it and that it's going to be successful. And so for us, you know, that probably looks like the end of next of the end of this year. Um, and, you know, we'll we're road mapping kind of what countries come first and um where we go, but it's a, it's a big piece of, you know, what's happening at the end of this year, beginning of next year and a lot of conversations around it. So we're very excited to go international. And I also wanted to talk about what we've seen with the rise of people sharing sheet masks and skincare on social media. As you mentioned, it's not just celebrities and influencers sharing themselves with these colorful masks. There are regular people willing to do it. What do you think is kind of driving that change? And is that kind of a long-term thing as well? Yeah, I I think it is. I think it's a generally I think it's a generational change. I think, you know, TikTok also has a lot to do with it. I think, you know, and be real. I think you're seeing from a trend perspective, social media accounts and outlets are, you know, really changing to this authentic authenticity and to this, you know, showing people the real them and what they're doing and when they're doing it versus kind of, you know, I guess what started this whole Instagram versus real life thing and people are showing more of their real life and people have definitely prioritized self-care and we're seeing that. And so I think that organically happens to be more of their real life. And so instead of getting, you know, a full makeover and have a full phase of make and their makeup and their hair done, they're showing you kind of how they got there. And it, it, it isn't important that they're, you know, there now they can show you the whole route in their life and those sorts of things. And so, um, I, yeah, I, I think this is all, I think it's more of like a change in a generation and kind of, 
you know, a change in social media outlets and how people are communicating and how community overall is being driven um, and lack of kind of just a trend that's being seen for now. And what about the marketing strategy on the brand's end with this? Do you guys do anything specific? Because obviously a few years ago, if you talk about sheet masks, people like to joke about how it kind of looks terrifying to have someone with a sheet mask on their face. And now people are willing to just share it on social media. So are you guys doing any marketing around normalizing that? Or is this just an organic thing that's been happening? Is it the celebrities? What do you think is driving it? We are not overtly doing that, right? We're not saying this looks better. It's okay to do it. But I do firmly believe that and I think about the experience, right, of a sheet mask. And we talked about this. It's like, a, it looks like a wet paper towel on your face. Like when you look at a Loops hydrogel mask, like it really is somewhat translucent. It's each one has like a different color. And the color process is very like intentional internally. And we spend a lot of time on it. And so it's not just the product and, you know, how effective the product is, but it's also what does the branding look like? And um, I, I think it looks better. So I think, you know, people, I think that, you could say is marketing because it is the brand development of it and people feel like it's cool to do. Um, And I think organically from that and from celebrities wearing it and from kind of, you know, you no longer feel like you're in a horror film when you put on a loops mask or you never did with a loops mask, but it doesn't feel like that kind of sheet masky, like dripping, like, I I don't know. I, I just, I think there's, you know, some connotations with that, that, drove us to want to deliver this really best in class mask and I consumers wear it and see it. And I think that that really drives um, what you're seeing on social. And for social marketing, what are the top social platforms for the brand right now? Um, So since launch, Instagram really has been where we are and we're um, moving into TikTok, obviously, and want that to be a big key piece of it. Um, And other than, you know, Instagram and TikTok, what we're looking to do and what the next kind of iteration of the brand will be, we'll be creating, um, which we have kind of behind the scenes is these, um, this community um, of influencers um, at different levels that really are engaging. And so we're creating kind of our own social, not public platform, but kind of our own social community that people are talking about, in addition to being on those, um, you know, public platforms. Um, but right now we're really harnessing kind of our efforts into Instagram and then, you know, moving also moving into TikTok and working on that as a priority this year. And what do you think about the short video format? Do you do a lot of Reels stuff on Instagram or is it mostly photos these days? No, we do a lot of Reels um, and a lot of uh, video content. Um, and, you know, a lot of what we a lot of what we do is user generated content and is really curated from our community. So it's coming from that. And we're definitely, you know, seeing that Reels is a much bigger piece of the pie. And that's kind of where also Instagram obviously is prioritizing their algorithms and things like that. So um, we're, you know, we're, we don't have a specific, like, let's make sure strategically we produce this much of this content and this much of this content, but we do definitely see our users and our audience, you know, moving and have for the last year, year and a half into that space. And so, you know, I think we're there too. And um, as we share user-generated content, that will be naturally the content that pops up um, on our channels. And who is your main customer base right now? Is it mostly millennials or Gen Z? Do you have any data on that? 
We do. So I would say that our core customer really is Gen Z um, and millennial as well, but the primary focus is the Gen Z audience. And she's 70% female, 20, 30% male. Um, and, you know, we definitely want to speak to kind of all genders. Um, and, you know, in, in that realm, like we know that it's someone who has a really active lifestyle, it's someone who had, who wants something that's simple and easy, um, for them to use. Um, and so, you know, they're out and about, they're, you know, going to the latest, like, you know, cultural event, and they're interested in music and film and arts and, um, you know, travel a lot. And we kind of build out, you know, those sorts of things based on who we see from a, like, customer standpoint and how we are surveying from a qualitative um, standpoint as well. And we do take and get a lot of our data um, from surveys and from focus groups and things like that that we're doing in this new community that we're building. Um, And then, you know, on top of it, we um, geographically, we see, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of coasts. And as we've grown, we've seen it also move, you know, into the middle of America and things like that. And definitely with the, you know, rollout in Ulta last year, and then the Target rollout this year, we went from being in 100 doors to, you know, over 2,500 in less than 12 months. I mean, that definitely has helped kind of broaden that consumer. And so, you know, we see while we have this core consumer that really is a product that can resonate with most people. Um, And so, you know, that is quickly expanding and growing. And so, you know, as we progress, we'll continue to um, collect data and go from there and, you know, understand how, how it grows and expands and becomes more diverse. Yeah, the active lifestyle is such an interesting part of it. Because even with working from home, you have people that are so busy at home, they don't have time to sit and do nothing with a sheet mask, but they do have time to sit on their laptop with something that will stay on their face. Have you noticed that kind of thing with the brand as well? You know, we've seen, obviously, our team wears them a lot at home. Um, but I think, I think you know, in the last six to eight months, we've seen people start to go back. In New York, we've seen it a lot too, right? It's like people are out and about, people are doing things. And so um, I think the reality of it is, is that it, it works either way. And we've seen that, you know, I told I told that story in the beginning about someone wearing it in the Uber from the gym to home. Um, we see it, you know, you can wear it at home while you're watching the movies, while you're cooking while you're on a Zoom, you could watch it, you know, you could do it while you're working. So there really, there are so many ways to do it and it only takes 10 minutes. And so it is easily adaptable into someone's lifestyle and it doesn't, you know, it's in addition to, you know, kind of what they're doing from a beauty routine and it doesn't, um, it just is a really easy fit. And that's, that's important to us. Um, And as we continue to expand from a brand perspective, we'll continue to make sure that that applies to everything that we um, develop. So your team has normalized the sheet mask on the Zoom meeting? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I actually was on a call yesterday uh, with an investor and I had I put it on. So yeah, we, we normalize it for sure. You have to. That's amazing. I'm hoping it'll take off more widely that way. And then where are you guys based? Do you have a headquarters or are you totally remote? Um, a little bit of both. We have office space um, and shared office space in New York City. Um, we have people who work from Miami, from LA, and then we also have someone in London. So um, we're pretty remote, but we also have work, workspace and we come together every other week um, in general and kind of, you know, 
are in the New York City office or that sort of thing. So. so to wrap up, tell us what's next for Loops. You said you are looking at product ideas in development. You just launched in a major retailer. What can we expect in the future? Any products in the pipeline that you can talk about? Yeah, so we have um, we have four new products coming out this year, um, one coming out in May. Um, and then two towards the end of next year or the end of this year. Um, and we also have some pretty exciting product assortments or product expansions that are coming out, which is actually what we're going to sold for in a couple of weeks um, to finish and finalize. And so um, I can't give any details of that yet, but that you know, product expansion is a huge part of what you can expect. Um, and we're really excited about it. Um, International is another huge piece of it. And then really like focusing and growing on the retailers that, you know, we're, we've partnered with here and um, continuing to kind of build um, our relationship and the product assortment and the expansion and those um, targets, you know, being Ulta and Target. Well, we look forward to keeping an eye out for what's next. Thank you, Meg, so much for taking the time today and sharing everything about Loops. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. See you next week.